thanks for joining us for Episode 6 of Season 4 of Couples, Inc., a place where we help couples work better together. The first and third Wednesday of each month, we drop episodes with advice, tips, and real-world experience for partnering in business and life. I'm Jody, a business owner and communication strategist, and years ago, I did the voice recording for a hospital's on-hold messaging. And when I had to call that exact number, I told myself that my call was important to me. It was kind of surreal, but also kind of validating. You know, that is validating. I'm going to have to do that to myself. I'll put that on my voicemail prompt. And then call yourself. And then call myself and tell myself that my call is important Your call is very important to us. To us? Well, I I didn't say me. I guess it was to us. I don't know who I was talking about in terms of us, I guess the hospital, but... I'm going to, yeah, that's an identity crisis right there. I think it's a split personality Mm -hmm. crisis. I'm Glenn, Jody's partner in business and life and business. When when I was a kid. And it's important to me. Yes, it is. When I was a kid, my sister came running into my room saying, come quick, you got to see this. She had removed the face of a monkey doll and put it on the head of a dead mouse, creating a monkey mouse. Oh, So creative. And Wait, so was the mouse, the mouse was, was dead, right? I don't know. I, I blocked, <laughs> blocked it. blocked it. I have. On today's show, we talk about scaling your business without losing your soul and interview the couple behind a popular workout program called UJAM. And at the end of the show, I test Jody's knowledge on unusual college football traditions. Without further ado, let's get started with this episode of Couples Inc. For today's big topic, we are talking about scaling your business without losing your soul. But we're not saying like lose your soul, like unethical well, business, <laughs> unethical business practices, or you know selling your soul or or what have you. But the soul of what makes your business yours mm-hmm. and in some ways special. So it's kind of like how do you grow without losing? what it is that you do best because you're going to have to delegate or franchise or spread out the tasks beyond yourself yeah and if your business is so wrapped up in you doing the best job and you knowing how to do that job how do you grow and scale how do you put that in your business dna Mm -hmm. so that your team can kind of absorb that yeah it's like you you can't really replicate a person yet you can replicate a process and you can replicate a product but if the person behind it is the magic that makes this business sing Mm -hmm. and i kind of mix metaphors there magic and singing but if that's what does it how do you grow i think one of the things is you mentioned process Mm -hmm. and yeah that's a vital part of your business obviously that's something that goes along with the rest of the mojo But it also goes beyond the process. Mm -hmm. If you're going to pass this on and and instill it into your team, a guy that we really admire Mm -hmm. uh, business-wise, Marcus Mm Lemonis. I was doing some research on this very topic. I love his show. Yeah, yeah. um, The Prophet. This is counterintuitive, so stay with me for a second. He says that for team buy-in, which is obviously part of what we're talking about, You have to ramp up employee buy-in by making changes. Okay, explain more. When you first start your business, you're the one that's doing it. Right. You may have a couple of um, 
people on your team that really share your vision. If you're a couple, certainly both of you do. And there may be somebody else that you've got on your team, maybe two or three other people that really, that's the core of your business. But as you grow and you hire other people, the tendency is just to hire people, show them how to do something, and then turn around and walk away. So let's say you're making widgets. Okay, you've got team member A, B, and C down the widget line, and they're making widgets, and everything's going fine, or so you think, until a customer calls and says, hey, this batch of widgets I got, it's not the same. They're breaking down. Uh, I noticed that when you were doing them, or when you and your, your core team were doing them, they were fine. They were great quality, but now it seems like that uh, you let the quality control lapse. So you make changes. So... Them doing what you did before is not enough. You no. have to change it so they can do more? Yeah. Okay, so I'm kind of following along with this this analogy. So you can't expect the same quality and the same product and the same interaction, I guess, with clients if they just mimic what you did. Exactly. You've got to give them something more to, I guess, compensate for the fact that they're not the owner. They're not... Yeah. In yeah, the entrepreneur. Exactly. And compensation is part of it. You mm -hmm. have to pay more than just a living wage if you expect people. That's one way to expect more from people. But uh, according to the Marcus Limones piece, the keys to making the change well, or making the changes that you're making well, are to, number one, prepare. You can't just walk in and say, hey, we're going to make some changes around here. You guys are screwing the widgets up. And then turn around and walk out. That leaves... You know, when, when you hear that as an employee, what goes through your mind the very first thing? I'm well, going to get fired. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's a negative. It's, it's definitely a stick, yeah. not a carrot. Exactly, yeah. So you have to draw up your plan so that it will transfer, it will translate to all of your team members. Then, number two, communicate the changes with your team and keep your office door open to them. He cites examples where business leaders will tell the team that there are changes and then go hide in their office for several days mm -hmm. or a week at a time. You know, close the door, draw the blinds and kind of cringe there. And that fosters all kinds of dysfunction. It's, uh, you know, the rumor mill starts to get going and then pretty soon everybody's convinced that their job is at stake. They have to perform quicker, maybe, than the other team members, but they don't necessarily work better. It's it's very corrosive to mm -hmm. the team's morale. Oh, yeah. And then the third one is to come together through teamwork and collaboration. And that kind of goes back to the communication thing. So th this, uh, like I said, we'll put this in the show notes, the, uh, the link for this. It's really interesting how he equates change with a dynamic that re-energizes and brings your team on board. Mm-hmm. There are some other factors too. I know there are, oh, but these absolutely. are these are three that you might not think of at, at first glance when you start thinking about how to soak the DNA through from one team member to the next. And I, I see what you're saying. There's still there is still something you kind of have to face the fact that maybe it isn't. I mean, yes, when you're talking about widgets, that's a quality control thing, and that is something that could be you know, I guess measured. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's a certain yeah. constant with a widget. Yeah. But if you're in a service industry or if you are in um, a business that may be hospitality or something, 
that is different because a lot of it is, is subjective, but then, you know, there aren't specifications like there are with making a widget a certain way and we're going to change the process so that's even better now that I'm not, you know, eyeing every piece that goes along the assembly line. I think that's still a challenge. I mean, that's sure. you and you, I think if you would if you own up to the fact that it cannot be duplicated a hundred percent, then it might help you let go and say, okay, we will do the best that we can and I'll model the service industry behavior. I'll incentivize. I will motivate to the best of my ability. But I think that's what holds people back is the the fear that their business won't be as as perfect in their mind as it is when they're doing everything. But that's just not realistic for you to have all the knowledge of the business and do all the tasks. No, yeah, that's unsustainable. Yeah, it's like like say you owned a, a bookstore, and maybe when you first started out, you just had a pop up shop at a couple of flea markets, and you kept all the prices in your head of what these books were, you know, what the prices were, and so forth, and it worked out okay. Mm-hmm. But then you got a storefront, and you decided to, you know, expand. But you didn't share that knowledge, or you didn't, you know. So yeah, you are still probably the best person in your mind and in your business to suggest a book to someone. But you can't possibly be the person who know is the only one who knows the price of these books. Right. It's a function thing. So yeah. yes, you if you're going to scale, some you might miss a few sales. You might not get that perfect book to that perfect person. But you need to have a process in place or a system in place so that the employee can do the best of their ability or best to their ability to do the job and expand your business. And you're going to have to, like, not be the perfectionist and let go. And I think that's a struggle for a lot of people who own a business. I mean, for us, we're a micro business and we don't plan to expand. But if we were to say, oh, we're going to hire on a bunch of um employees to expand our marketing firm it would it would give me pause because i'd be like well how do i trust that they'll do this job sure one thing about it is that we don't have employees ourselves and we never have in our business we always engage with contractors Mm -hmm. that does a couple of things for us Uh, the obvious benefit is we don't have to fool with the paperwork that would be associated with having full-time employees. Yeah, we pretty much just have to do the tax, you know, the things you do with a contractor as opposed to, you know, having an employee manual, making sure you are doing their deductibles and all that kind of stuff. And that's kind of a new model, Mm -hmm. uh, especially picking up since the pandemic and people working from home, then the great resignation. Mm -hmm. I think that it benefits a lot of small businesses like ours, micro-businesses, to engage with contractors because they have skin in the game too. They're business owners as well, and they want to do the best they can to fill the orders that you've given them. Mm -hmm. Go above and beyond for great service, you know, and a great product. It is a challenge for people who have a service business like ours and a micro-sized business well, on top of that. Well, your widget example, and while people probably are not doing a lot of small businesses making widgets, say a bakery, you're obviously giving them the recipe to... Making widget bread. Making widget bread. But you're obviously, you know, creating something that is duplicated based on a recipe, which would be your specs, just like a widget, yeah. only it's a cookie. Well, they've got to go buy the recipe... They've got to make sure the ingredients are as fresh as you would. They've got to, you know, do all that process. 
and hopefully you are training them well. But, you know, on occasion, there may be some times when they're like, well, it's okay. It's good enough. And as a business owner, you've got to deal with, okay, I have employees who are not doing the best. They're doing good enough where I would expect the best. And that's where you have to figure out, like you were saying, um, are you communicating with them? Are you changing things so that you get the best employee? Like what uh, Marcus was saying. Yeah, yeah. So I think, too, that you have to plan your work and work your plan, especially when it comes to hiring people. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and so many times a business owner will let that tipping point sneak up on them because they're so busy in the business yes. of making the thing or doing the thing that they went into business for in the first place. So that all of a sudden they're in over their head and they're desperate to hire somebody. Do they have the time to train that person and to make sure that they are aware of that DNA and the way that it benefits them to duplicate the process, mm-hmm. maybe not. That's the, that is, I think, sometimes people forget when they're bringing on people. And this has been one of my frustrations sometimes when I've worked at an agency and they're like, oh, we'll just bring on some interns. Now, this is not the same thing, but interns, it's not just you know you getting some cheap, or in some cases free if it's college credit and it's still allowed to do that. You're still allowed to do that. Yeah. It's an investment of your time because this person is like usually going to know next to nothing about your industry or only what they've learned in school. You're going to have to spend that time training them. And I think sometimes people forget and think, Oh, just free labor. If you do it right, you're helping them and hopefully training them. And maybe they become employees or at least they're adding to it. Same thing when you hire employees, they may have a lot of experience, Mm -hmm. but you have to teach them your way of how you do things, your business model, your expectations. Your experience. Exactly. And so you've got to build in this training period. It may seem like it's going to take a lot of time because even if they, again, they have a ton of experience, they can only hit the ground running, you know, because you don't, I guess, only so fast. I mean, they can hit the ground running, but they don't know your path. They don't know your, you know, what your expectations are. So it's, You've got to build that in. I think that is a mistake. Businesses, when they're starting to grow, might mistake the like the importance of training. And, and they might do the basics, but truly training them in your mindset, in your business role, how that happens, you know, that you've got to figure out a way because you can't do a mind meld or you can't do, you know. No, you have to swap blood. Yeah, you can't. That's, that's the way I found it's <laughs> most effective. You can't do, there's nothing you could do that's going to automatically make them understand what you're doing or what you're thinking. But you've got to take the time to, okay, not only do you teach them how to use the equipment, not only do you teach them um, the process for filling out paperwork, you've got to teach them and tell them about your story, yeah. what your business is about and spend time with them modeling that behavior. Yes, um, just leading by example. Leading by example. Mm-hmm. It's it's one of those things that, you know, training doesn't need to just be about the nuts and bolts and the equipment or the processes. It's got to be about the the soul of the business. Yeah, and here's another important part that we really haven't talked very much about. Uh, the investment of money spent to equip employees and team members to do their job properly. yes. There have been so many times when I've been in a workplace where the equipment was worn out 
where it didn't function correctly and nobody was trying to make that right. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have the basic tools, you're, you're working someplace and the tools are messed up. How are you expected to do a proper job? You, you can't. And more often than not, managers and owners that are in that situation have turned their back on not just that equipment, but on their employees too. Yeah, you've got to you've got to show that you support them. If they you want them to support your business, you've got to show them that you support them as well. And that is giving them the tools to do the job mm-hmm. the right way. Because sometimes if you're a one person operation, you overlook that and you overcompensate. But if you're someone who's just new to this and you don't own the business. You're not as likely to say, okay, well, I can work with this crappy equipment. I know a workaround or I can do this and I'll work a little bit harder. You kind of have to make it as perfect as possible to not miss a beat as you start growing and start building your business even more so. Yeah. I think the one of the other important things is, you know, do you even want to grow or scale? We've talked to, um, mm. on a previous podcast, uh, we did an interview with um, Todd Knuckles. Yeah. And he was talking about selling your business. And a lot of it was based on creating this business, not a job, creating this business that can work without you and then keep growing. Yeah. And be sold. Yeah. But not everybody, I mean, I think he he would say everyone could sell their business, but not everybody wants to. And maybe not everybody wants to go beyond a micro business. Yeah, I think that that's really, I know for us, that's our future, Mm -hmm. is to stay in the micro, what would you call it, the micro mojo? Micro mojo. Maybe, yeah, the micro mojo. And I think for a lot of couples, it may be that there's, again, that's the benefit of being a couple in business, is you're not by yourself. You've got a partner, and maybe you can do this business with just the two of you. Now, there are certain businesses that it just wouldn't work. But for some service industry businesses, some like selling insurance, um, a law firm, um, marketing agency, those kinds baking of Baking widget cookies? Baking widget cookies could be run by just a couple. I think that sometimes it's okay to just be small or micro yeah. and just, you know, be a, a business partner with your spouse and and not worry about whether you have a soul or not. To lose. Wait, no, we're not not to lose your soul. Wait. (laughs) For our interview segment, we were able to visit recently with Susie and Matt Marks, owners of UJAM Fitness. Here's what they said about making working together work for them. The first thing we always ask couples is to kind of talk about the numbers. How long have you been married and how long have you owned a business together? Mm. 12 years blissfully married. Oh, good um, answer. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm learning. I'm learning. Um, and uh, 13 years owning the business. So, yeah, we were owning the business before we got married. We were kind of married into the business, too. But uh, that wasn't the reason for being married. But, oh, uh, <laughs> wow. See, you guys are different. Most people are married for a few years, like, you know, maybe three to five years, and then they start uh, to form a business. You're the first couple who were already in business and then got married. Yes. Well, yeah. Because we we dated for four years. We were interested in bringing our talents together, but not necessarily setting out to have a business. Yeah. No, no. We were having fun. Um, She's a dancer, um, professional dancer by trade, and 
uh, in, in L.A. She did the L.A. thing and uh, did the fitness thing. She was on the L.A. Reebok team back in the day. So when we met, um, I heard that she was, there's a salsa queen, but I liked her as a person. She had just this quality, kind of reminded me of my mom, just a smooth, a soft quality about her, um, beautiful girl. Um, and I didn't want to go to her class. for. She taught Zumba when I first met her. And I didn't want to go to her class because I wanted to go learn Zumba before I met her. Um, <laughs> she said, don't take the Zumba class. I want you to take mine first. I said, okay, right. Um, so I went to go to explore what the Zumba thing was and uh, how everyone was having a great time. Um, when I first showed up to her training, she, and this kind of flows into the second question. Sorry, guys. Um, I, I saw something that I've never seen before. I've been in, um, in, in entertainment DJing for 20-something years before I met her, almost near 30 years. And I saw something that I've never seen, uh, I've never really experienced, that there's this girl up there exuding uh, just who she is, dancing, talking with people. Um, and I, I felt the energy. And I was probably 50 yards back. It was in a room of a training and this training had about 80 people. That's a lot of people. Our typical trainings are 10 to 15 people. And th this this room had 80 people. And I've never seen anything like it. At that point, I go, oh, my God, I am dating someone that has a unique quality that I've never uh, experienced. Right. So that that was the beginning. Um, Glenn and, and Jody, he, he came to my Zumba training because I was the, the Zumba trainer for Northern California at the time. Did you, you got the, you took Zumba before, right? Before you did this training? Or did you go ahead and go into her training without kind of cheating? Oh, no, I cheated. Uh, was he any good? Uh, well, no. <laughs> no, because you weren't dancing. He, oh. he, we were already kind of dating and um, he stopped by to check out my Zumba training and so that's how he saw. You know, oh, okay. So you never got, uh, you didn't get a chance to see his moves in that class then? No. And, no. He, and he didn't come up to my Zumba class until maybe. Three months? He, he decided to maybe, I think it was two months. Two months? Because he needed to go out and take somebody else's Zumba class so he could practice before coming to my class. Oh. Okay. <laughs> that's dedication. Yeah, I wanted right. to just know who she was before I went to the stardom situation. So, <laughs> yeah, that's my – I'm sticking to it. So you guys talked about meeting and the the natural charisma and the engagement and things. So what do you think was that moment you're like, okay, we're going to start a business together? You talked about you just wanted to have fun, you wanted to do something a little different, but when was it like, okay, we're going to start an actual business well, that's when uh, Matt suggested that I add the old school hip hop to my playlist. And I did it. He suggested a few old school songs. I choreographed and introduced it to the class. And that first class was a hit. And that's kind of how, that's kind of how we got the idea of introducing something different to the the dance fitness world. And he also is the one that suggested I do a nighttime class with the DJ lights and everything. Yeah, I brought my lights. Yes, right. <laughs> All right. 
that's kind of where it started. It's where it started with the ideas, like, with oh my God, people are yeah. something different, a new class to offer. Yeah, and she and, and the typical class you'll see, I mean, it ranges all over. Whomever may hear the podcast too, it ranges, you know, from five people to fifty people. Some have seventy-five. She had over two hundred people in her class, and I know she's not about the numbers. I know that, but it was for me that was a dynamic I have I haven't seen, and I've only been to a few classes, but. For, for that many people to come together in fitness and in dance, and it was just uh, euphoria everywhere. It was a, it was a fitness rave, and, and, and we we said, you know, this is something that's growing. Um, as, as she kept doing these, more people would come. They would they would drive in four hours from the Chicos and, mm-hmm. and you know, Sacramento, a couple hours away. People would come in for these events now. We're like, whoa. Mm-hmm. So we didn't think of business-wise, hey, we're going to start putting numbers together and earn the income this we just said, let's make this so cool for people um, that they're going to come and, and enjoy it. And, and we just kept adding on more ideas and more ideas. What are some of the challenges that you guys have overcome while you've been in business so far? Um, a lot of it. Learning the business uh, itself. Uh, we, we, because at this time, we were having a great time. Yes, we would take in some basic, you know, the monies from the door. But now we have people to manage. We have accounting. We have legal that came up later on. Uh, all these, uh, I want to say roadblocks, obstacles of, of things that we didn't know about um, um, started to build up. And the, learning those was a huge, huge uh, challenge to overcome. We had to learn how to come together, put out the, the pros and cons, and finally compromise. compromise. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one would be learning leadership skills, dealing with personalities I mentioned earlier. You know, we had to learn over time uh, to be more forthcoming and give them, uh, you know, constructive feedback and, you know, um, positive feedback as much as we could give them. Uh, but we, we failed to do that in the beginning. We had to learn to do that because it would help uh, build our staff uh, as far as them as people and us as people too, so we can all work together. And uh, last one I have on here, oh, one of the last is taking ownership of everything, no matter what went on with the business, even if, you know, if, if it was our fault or if it was someone else's, it's the team's fault. And how can we how can we get better with that as a team? How can we prep better as a team to try to uh, avoid those those con- conflicts or mishaps? How have you guys handled some of the staffing challenges, some of the team, I guess, retention challenges that have occurred uh, with, with a lot of businesses here lately, especially since the pandemic? Well, the pandemic was a blessing in disguise. and it, we, we felt bad about letting people go, but we also learned the art of automation. All the software that our, our uh, people that have advised us in the past will, will now allow us to, to run the business by ourselves for the most part. You, need, you just definitely need help. But for the most part, we didn't need people in place now because we had software. And, and COVID hit our company uh, pretty hard. We, um, we did lose a lot of instructors and um, we had to basically let go of our entire team. Mm-hmm. So, um, but we're still thankful that we have our partnerships with a lot of the big box gyms and we still have our instructors with us uh, and we're rebuilding now. We're in the rebuilding stage of um, growing instructors and also growing the program. So we are learning that, um, yeah, that we have to pivot and make some changes. And that, that's what we're in the process of doing now. 
So, I mean, yeah, COVID, instead of blessing in disguise, we did a lot. We've done a lot of pivots, which we already have, you know, before COVID, but we had to do some hard pivots, take ownership for the pivots, and then learn that, you know, there's a lot of uh, technology out there that can, unfortunately, I don't want to say how to replace, because you really can't replace people, but it really, uh, it saved us a lot of money and it helped us along the way automatically without having people in place. Mm-hmm. Right. From a, um, I guess, personal perspective, as a couple, what has been the best part of owning a business together while also being a married couple? Ah, <laughs> the growth. I mean, we both love people, music, and dance. And when it all comes together to help change lives, that is more beautiful than money can ever talk about you know uh, the rich of money it's the rich of, of people the rich of health and, and and happiness in a community and that really is resonating it's it's really one of the best things about us owning the business is thriving together with our community right and i think um being able to work together as as husband and wife but uh sometimes in business it's it's usually one person who has the talent and the other person is the backbone of the business. But with with Matt and I, we both brought our talents together, which is beautiful. My dance background, my fitness background, and Matt's DJ background, along with his business background. It sounds like, yeah, you guys have come together with a, a mutual mission, and then it just kind of is... I guess, strengthens the relationship knowing you're having this impact. Mm -hmm. Um, As we wrap up, tell us where people can find out more about UJAM and do you guys have uh, classes across the country or virtual classes? Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, you can uh, find us at ujamfitness.com. We have both virtual and live instructor trainings. Classes on there, uh, you can find classes, both virtual and in-person classes on our class finder. And for our virtual and live instructor trainings, you can name your price, which is kind of crazy. But it used to be, you know, we'd all charge the same price across the board and everyone was on the same, you know. But after COVID, we're finding a lot of heartaches and, you know, people are still, especially my friends, a lot of our friends in the in the Silicon Valley, they're hurting. And that hurts to hear that. So, you know, while we would stay steady and even, the, the again, building that community again, like we did in the beginning, will help grow everything including the business when we can grow a community we can certainly grow that the business and by doing that we, we want to say name your price let's go to UGM fitness fill out the contact form we'll call you back within 24 hours mm-hmm. and uh you know we'll talk about naming the price and we've done that uh geez dozens of times already and people are like huh name your price and they're very they feel very grateful about that and we feel they grateful do. that we can help yeah and it allows us to meet people where they're at and still get them involved in, in the UGM program. Absolutely. So that's ugmfitness.com. Name your price. Wow. That's wonderful service to the community and a great way to give back, I think. Uh, Matt and Susie, it's been so good talking to you guys and, and connecting for the first time. I don't want it to be the last one and I don't want it to end. So we'll do it again. We'll have to do it again. For sure. All right. Thanks, guys. Yes. Thanks, wonderful. guys. Thank you. This is college football season, oh, pro football I'm, I'm, season. I'm know. an expert, expert yeah, at I, all of that. I know that you are. You're an yeah. expert at, at sitting there and reading a magazine if I'm yes. watching a game or something like that. And I like actually that. said once, 
Is it is it fourth and down? Fourth and down. Fourth and down. And since then, I think there's been a move afoot to quietly put that in the jargon. Oh, sure, sure. Fourth so and down. I'll, I'll keep you posted on the progress of that. <laughs> Go team. I've got some trivia questions to test Jody's knowledge of odd college football traditions. Now, odd I am an expert on. Well, yeah. Football traditions, I don't know. So let's... Well, these kind of transcend football and kind of get into the weird stuff that people do. In college. In college or in real life or <laughs> just any Wait, time they... it's college. Does it involve like the eating goldfish or getting into a you phone know, booth I, thing of the I, 50s? I thought about looking that stuff up, but my life is getting shorter instead of longer. Mm-hmm. And I didn't waste any time on oh, it. Oh, yeah. Life is too short to waste to, time. To waste time on eating goldfish. <laughs> yes. All right. <laughs> Question number one. Okay. The University of Iowa visiting team locker room is A, painted pink, B, infested with roaches, oh. C, equipped with spy cameras and microphones, or D, tilted like a funhouse. Okay. I want to say, I, I think D would be amazing. It'd be hilarious. But I feel like I've read something about this. I think it's A, painted pink. You are correct. Yeah, the, it started some 40 years ago, I think. Uh, one of the coaches was also a psychology student when he was in college. Oh. And he found a list of, or he knew of a list of the colors that were most calming and relaxing. So it wasn't <laughs> like uh, you, you guys are playing like a bunch of girls or any of that kind of Right, stuff. yeah, I don't want to be sexist. Yeah, it's not. It was That was his motivation was to calm them so the, the, the opposing team would come out kind of relaxed and, you know, there you yeah, go, 50 well, to nothing. That, yeah, my office is a combination of um, like a hot pink and an orange. So it's somewhat calming, but it's also energizing. So it's yeah. kind of a, a balance. And as a breast cancer survivor, I think pink is the strongest color there is, but... I totally get where he's going with that. Yeah. Next time I put the pads and the helmet on, I'm going pink. <laughs> Question number two at the University of Colorado. What is unleashed and allowed to run on the field before each game? Is it A, a flock of seagulls? <laughs> B, Just the hair. Yeah. B, a pig. C, a buffalo. Or D, millions of fire ants. Oh, my God. Okay. Um, buffalo? Is it a buffalo? Yes, it is. Yes! The buffalo is the mascot of the University of Colorado, and that tradition's been alive for many, many years. Well, I thought it was either pig or buffalo, but I'm like, I think, feel like it's a more of a buffalo place yeah. than a pig place. Yeah. Fire ants, again, would be very funny, but that should be the locker room. Yes. The, the tilted the locker room tilted with fire ants. The tilted pink locker room with the fire ants. That's yeah, perfect. yeah. Somebody's going to do that now. But we, we're not a sponsor. <laughs> we're not, yes, we're not responsible for the downfall of uh, that particular team. Question number three. One of college football's most intense rivalries is between Alabama and Auburn. What is the Auburn fans' tradition when their team wins in that series? Is it A, toilet papering trees, B, burning furniture, C, tearing down the goalposts, or D, all of the above? Ooh. I feel like it's tearing down the goalposts. No, it's A, toilet paper and trees. That seems like that. I was like, there's no way that's it. Yeah. That is like what kids do before school. In fact, we drove by a house that had been toilet papered 
right before school yeah, start, yeah. started. But I'm like, burning furniture, I know like UK has been known to burn couches. UK is the University of Kentucky. Yeah, yeah, University yeah. of Kentucky. Um, yeah. I remember there was a story about people burning couches. But um, that, it seems very tame. Yeah, all of those things are probably, have probably but happened. But that's the tradition. And, but that is the official, quote unquote, tradition. There are... Uh, a couple of very old trees downtown in uh, downtown Auburn. Mm-hmm. And they just do that when they beat Alabama. So they basically vandalize their own mm-hmm. town with toilet paper. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. This is a college, right? It's college. Higher education. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You're two and one. Okay. Pressure's on. Question number four. Mm-hmm. Florida State University has a fake cemetery on campus <laughs> where, after a big victory on the road, they return to bury A, the opposing team's mascot up to his neck. Oh, God. B, the opposing team's quarterback up to his neck. C, the opposing team's coach up to his neck. Or D, a piece of the opposing team's turf. Okay. First of all, because I think the first three would be like felonies. Um, I'm going to go with the turf. <laughs> yes, you're correct. Okay, because I'm like thinking, I don't think that's, I don't think it's legal. I don't know that it's really against the law, the letter of the law, to bury somebody up to there. I mean, people do it at the beach all the time. And that's true. It's not like they're going to get arrested. Yeah, but that's a willing participant. I doubt, I is doubt. It? Well, the mascot might be willing, depending on what the mascot is. Yeah. If it's an ostrich, Maybe the other way around. Yeah. They could bury it. Yeah. Or just leave the head in. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. They, they play the ostriches and the work's done for them. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Last question, and you are three and one in this. Okay. Number five. What are Texas A&M students allowed to do after their team scores a touchdown? Okay. Is it A, salute the scoreboard, B, kiss their partner, C, throw their hats into the air, or D, moon the opposing team. <laughs> okay. This is Texas A&M, remember? Yeah. We're going to tick off so many sports fans. Well, yeah. With our commentary here. Um, let's see. I am going to say toss their hats in the air. Oh, sorry, Jody. They're allowed to kiss their partner. That was my second guess. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm. So I guess I I don't know how that I don't know how any of these traditions started. Um, the the buffalo at the University of Colorado makes the most sense because that's their mascot. Yeah, but traditions are kind of weird things that. And that's what makes this such a great sport. It's such a magical tradi- thing. Yeah, it is magic. <laughs> you know, when when you're able to bury the opposing team up to their neck. Yes, you've really done something. Thanks for listening to Couples, Inc., a podcast helping couples work better together. We put out new episodes the first and third Wednesday of each month. But to make sure you don't miss a show, subscribe using your favorite streaming service. We're on all of them. And if you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, go ahead, share it with others, post it on social media, or leave us a rating or review. And be sure to visit our website, couplesincpodcast.com, to learn more about us, review show notes, or leave us a message. Until next time.